right, y'all. You guys are going to get a little clue in from now on, because you've probably picked it up, but when the podium changes, it's probably me. I can't see y'all through the other podium. I am just too short on top. I apologize. Um, Brad forgot one little thing that I'm going to say really fast. Um, I, th- he, I think he mentioned the, um, the phone number information and all of that. I know some of you guys are a little frustrated because you just don't seem to get texts and you've turned it in. I will be calling the company very soon to figure out because there's about five people that I know of that I have all of their correct information and they just don't get the texts and I can't figure that part out. So there's a little bit of a glitch. But um, any other information, prayers and such, we really do stop and carry these around with us and pray over you guys during the week. So that's easy. So y'all, we are a thin crowd this morning. Um, A lot of people have some colds and some other stuff going on. And then there's travel. So I don't know how many of y'all, I'm just not going to use that. I don't have room. I don't know how many of you guys are traveling in the next couple days. We decided years ago that travel over Christmas with kids was just not worth it anymore. When they're little, it's exciting for a brief blip. (laughs) And then I realized sleep was more exciting and schedule, which is funny. The Lord had to just really work on me on schedule because I am sort of a free spirit. I I self-describe as maybe a stray cat. When I was growing up, um, I would, in high school, I had friends and all the different cliques around the school. So there was the theater club who would hang out in the theater room. And there were like the sports jocks that would like line a couple of the hallways, you know, because it wasn't actually cool to eat in the cafeteria most of the time, right? But I did have a few I'm gone. Now I'm back. And a few friends who ate in the cafeteria. And those were like my nerdy friends that were just like the square ones that I loved. And then there were the artsy friends who hung out either in our um, English teacher's room, which is also the theater room, or maybe outside on the lawn, you know, and taking in the breeze. And I would systematically walk the halls and choose a different group regularly to to eat at um, because I just didn't want to pin myself in to one of those groups. And I had friends across the board in them, so I just would kind of move myself around. And uh, as an adult, I feel like I still have the tendency to do that, to kind of be moving around and doing various things. And um, sometimes I have to remind myself it's okay and it's good to sit and to stay and to be in one place. And as I became a mom, I realized my kids needed some of that. And so we don't usually travel over Christmas. That's just become our our norm. So y'all that do, blessings, have fun, we'll be here. Keeping the candles burning for you. Um, I love that that as a a family we talk about coming and going and celebrating that. Um, We love it when people who have been part of our family are home for a bit. Sarah, welcome home for the holidays. Um, if y'all make sure you guys give her a hug on the way in. We are going to be determined to be a family that celebrates when people come in and people come out and love it when they just get a chance to visit with us again. We're going to do that. All right, there was something on my mind. Oh, before we get going, can we just lift our hands up and corporately pray for Isabella Looney right now? They're back at the hospital yesterday afternoon. She just quit taking bottles again. And um, they're at the hospital this morning praying over their, their little girl and uh, seeing she you know, gets dehydrated and they have to kind of start this process again. And 
haven't really had a diagnosis that fits the symptoms. So can we just stop for a minute and lift, lift those in our family that are up, but especially her. Oh, Heavenly Father, I thank you um, that your word calls you the Prince of Peace. So Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would just invade that ER room right now. And um, this Christmas season, that you would give Dan and Pat and Danielle and Chris just words of hope that was spoken earlier. Lord, glimpses of your spirit, words for the, the doctors and the nurses that come and go, and great grace upon this situation in their heart. Father, we ask that you would touch Isabella. Touch her body, Father. Awaken her little hunger. Awaken in her the need and the desire to, for nourishment. And Lord, we ask for either an immediate healing or a diagnosis in which healing can begin through the process of the wisdom you've given the doctors. We know you work in different ways. But we're asking, Father, you just touch her body. We thank you. Amen. Thank you guys for being a family that reaches out. I know that while they were in the hospital the last time, they heard from a number of people, and people stopped by, and it meant a lot. So let's just keep in touch with one another through, this, through the holidays, as obviously a lot of us are not here this morning. So um, what I like to do with our, mo- our women's group that we have Embrace, we have prayer partners in that group, and, and I'm pretty open at saying, hey, I don't always know where everybody is, but if your prayer partner isn't here, would you check in on them? And I think it's a great habit for us to have somebody that we're looking out for on a regular basis and going, hey, where's that person? If they're not here, the Lord pricks your heart, you reach out and just ask, okay? All right, so transitioning, mothers and midwives. I get to, to like bring in third base today, right? I get to, to come in at, at the last, the last uh, Sunday here and, and wrap up this series that um, the three of us have had the honor of doing. We started off with... Uh, Pastor Sasha and her fire over, um, speaking of Elizabeth, and the way that Elizabeth moved in and, and was allowed by the Lord to carry something that she had been given a word for and, uh, and walked that through and allowed the glory of the Lord to just be manifest through that. Then we got to Mary, and oftentimes I think we spend this week on Mary, right, because we're right before the story, but we bumped it to last week, and we got to hear about how Mary was just eager and willing and allowing the Lord to move through her and um, to birth the kingly destiny of the Lord's manifest presence here on the earth. And she did that. And this week, we're going to talk about Anna. And, uh, and so just be prepared. Do you guys have your Bibles? Here we go. Ready? I got two right here. In fact, y'all, because of, of my, my sense of maturing in age, I have three. Y'all, I printed them in size 14 font, okay, because it's just a little bigger than this, and I need to order some new glasses. I just got a new prescription, but I don't have the glasses yet, so um, I have it here. I'm going back and forth. The stuff behind me you'll be seeing, some of it's an NLT, New Living Translation. Some of it is in ESV, depending on my mood at the time of what I was looking at and going between my two Bibles and what I loved, so just flow with me on that, but we're just going to jump in and uh, so when you see me shuffling, that's what I'm doing right here. So we're going to jump in, and we're going to read the scripture. I got one. <laughs> so exciting. All right. 
can you all stand with me? We did that the other day, and I just loved it every once in a while, especially the Christmas season. Don't you just think it's the perfect time for just a hint of liturgy to jump in? You know, things that have been done for the last, like, you know, thousand years or whatever, Um, maybe a little longer. But we're going to read and start off today with Anna, and we're just going to look at her story just to remind ourselves. I know y'all know this story, but we're going to get to do it together. So we're going to be in Luke 2, 36 to 38, and I know this is going to come up here. Mamas and midwives, right here. Okay, and so this is in NLT, so I'm going to read off of this right here. Anna, a prophet. What was she? Awesome. I like a little give back here because there's about five of y'all out there. So we're going to share. Was also there in the... Ah, she was the daughter of... I love it. You guys said it about five different ways. So I get to pick any of them. Finial, we're going to go with that one. From the tribe of Asher. We have an Asher in our midst. I have a feeling that was probably distinctly on purpose. I didn't get to ask y'all about that this week, but, but I bet it was. She was from the tribe of Asher, and she was very... Her husband, right? When they had been married only seven years. Now, remember this, y'all. Nothing is without merit and reason in the Bible. Do you want stuff good happening at your seventh year or bad? Good. She had a really stinky first seventh year. A really stinky first seventh year. Her husband died when they had only been married seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. And she had never left the temple, staying there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. I love this right here. We just get a hint of her in the Bible. We don't get a lot about her. And yet, as we're going to see in just a second, and I'm sure many of you have studied this before, but I just got excited when we were talking about mamas and midwives, that the Lord gives us quite a lot here. And we're going to unpack just a little bit in a minute. But before we do that, I want to jump forward to another story of another widow, okay? So here Jesus is actually talking about an unnamed widow. Now, he talks about a lot of widow stories in the book of Luke. We actually see a number of them. Luke talks about widows more than anybody else does. He obviously had a soft spot for that. So, but here Jesus is talking about an unnamed widow. Here's my question. Undoubtedly, Jesus would have heard about Anna from his parents. I mean, this was a pretty major thing. If it's in the Word of God, if it got written down, somebody remembered it, right? So probably in the stories that, that, that they were talking when he was little and the things that had happened as they held him, you know, as the little baby back here in Grace's arms, and they, they held him, and as he became a toddler and they started teaching him about stuff, they shared his story. We talk with our children about their stories, the things that, that impressed upon our hearts when they were little. And I bet Mary, just a second with me, y'all, Mary and Joseph probably shared part of this story, right? So we're going to jump to Luke 18, and then y'all can sit down. Just a second. I'm wondering if she was in his mind when he told this parable. Luke 18, 1 through 8. In a little while, we'll be with the Father. In a moment, we'll get there. It gives you guys a chance to turn there, right? All right, I'm going to start reading it. And he told them a parable to the effect that they always 
ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry for him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Lord, would you bless the reading of your word? Would you give us insight today as to what you were sharing with all of these beautiful people so long ago? And would your Holy Spirit pour your words out over us this morning? Amen. Y'all can sit back down. Thank you for hanging with me there for a moment. So, let's jump to Anna for just a few minutes. Again, flip back there, right? So that's in Luke 2. What do we know about Anna? Well, the first thing it describes her as is a prophetess. So she's a female, but she's a prophetess. Like I said, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Elizabeth. Elizabeth was interesting because she represented the priestly lineage for us. That was her family's background, fulfilling prophecy herself through the priestly line. That's where she came from. And then we got to talk about Mary. And Mary did two different things. One, she was also from the priestly line, but she gave birth to a king, thus creating a kingly line, right? So we have the prophet. We have the, 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 I mean, the priest, then we have a king, right? And we have one more this week. We have Anna, and the word starts that off, the prophecy of Anna, Anna, a prophet. So what does she do? She fulfills the prophetic line in the story of Jesus. And with him, we both have a prophet, a priest, and a king, right? But the three main women in this story also fulfill those three areas. So off, offhand, just getting going, they're already fulfilling prophecy. They're already bringing the stories from the Old Testament back over here and doing that circle, completing the circle for us. So it also goes on to say that she was a daughter of Phineal, which is how I chose to pronounce it after I looked it up numerous times. That seemed to be the, the average way. I know we can say it so many different ways. I'm not sure. But the daughter of Phineal, meaning this, I loved it, the face of God. That was his name. So she was the daughter of the face of God. Isn't that beautiful? But her own name meant something as well, which meant favored. And I came across a little line the other day. One of my favorite speakers currently that I listen to at times is Corey Russell. Y'all, we're working on something. I have something exciting in a couple of months to share with you about Corey Russell. But I was listening to something not long ago, and it's funny because before Brad asked us to preach this series and talking through some of this, um, I had been thinking through and praying through some of these things for a couple months. And I loved it because it's not just me. We're not the only ones talking about this. I've come across like three or four different teachings lately on Anna and on Simeon and on the prophetic word that they were doing there being replicated here, and we'll talk about that in a little bit today. But, um, but Corey said this. He pointed out that Anna was favored to see the face of God in the Christ child, that, that she had been set up from birth 
knowing these things. And, um, and I don't know if y'all know what your names mean. My name means pearl. Um, also can be translated as, I guess, dove, but mostly it's pearl. And my family had, had the fun little thing of giving me pearls on and off when I was little. So I have a number of sets of different kind of pearls and different things like that. And uh, last week, your kids probably, maybe two weeks ago, came home with bookmarks um, that also, I guess, could be hung up on a tree, but ours looks like a bookmark. And it has the kid's name and what it meant on there. And they, they laminated those. And they were teaching the children that it's important to know who they are and whose they are. And their more, names mean something. It's not by accident that, that your parent named you something. The Lord's often speak, spoken through this. Or sometimes redemption comes through the Lord redeeming what you call yourself or what other people call you, right? So there's either, it's a, it's a story that already tells you something or it's a place of redemption that the Lord brings into it. So we kind of see those two things there. So she already knew who she was. She knew whose she was. Her family was from the tribe of Asher, it tells us that. Well, what does that mean? Who's the tribe of Asher? Well, that's kind of cool. I'd suggest you should Google that later. The tribe of Asher was not one of the largest, and yet it was described as being a, the blessing on the tribe of Asher. There were two, but one of them was that it would have wonderful children, that it would have leaders that would come from that tribe. Well, that says something. Y'all, I don't want to be the biggest I don't want King's Church to like be a mega church. You want? I would love King's Church to be known. You know what? King's Church produces leaders. The children that come out of King's Church, they are leaders in their community and they're leaders in ministry around the world and they go out and they are world changers. You know? I think that would be an amazing thing. And they were also known, this isn't a bad thing either, for beautiful women. They were. So their daughters that grew up were highly favored. And many of their daughters ended up actually marrying into the priestly line. And so they actually ended up kind of blending Asher into the priestly lineage because so many of their, their daughters actually uh, married into, into that other line. And so there's just a lot there. It's a really beautiful thing. Look it up later. I was all excited reading a couple different Jewish blogs that were writing about this. And I was like, oh, this is really kind of cool. But if the Lord mentions it, if it's allowed to be in here and Luke felt like it was important, then it's important. And in like four lines already, we have a lot of who Anna is, who she was, and she wasn't just a widow who didn't have anything else to do with her time. She was widowed early, right? Seven years into being married, likely in her early to mid-20s. I mean, there's a lot left of her ability to produce family and her ability to produce a lineage of itself. And as I said a second ago, there's a pretty good chance she may have been a flaming, beautiful redhead. But as the tribe, and she was a number one wife material, she never married again. She devoted herself to a new love, prayer and worship. She chose not to be remarried. She chose to step into something different on purpose and spent her time at the temple. That almost became like a, a, new, a new covenant for her. Her covenant of marriage had died as her husband had passed away. And she entered into a new covenant, coming daily and spending time day and night in worshiping, prayer, and fasting at the temple. She chose not to separate herself from that again. 
Among the three women mentioned in the series, Anna's unique. No family, no living husband, no kids. And yet, what does she do? She plays this critical role as an intercessor. And also, part of being the intercessor brings us back to our whole theme the whole time is that she was a midwife, someone who helped birth salvation into the world. This is interesting to me because long before the angel appeared for Elizabeth, honestly, long before Mary was even born, before Joseph was spoken to, God was raising up intercessors with, like Simeon and Anna to lay a foundation of prayer in fasting and crying out to bring about the salvation. Y'all, she had probably been spending time at least 50, if not 60 years, maybe longer than that, praying and seeking and fasting. She had been having her eyes set on this long before we got to Mary and Elizabeth's story. She knew who she was, who she was, and what she was supposed to be doing, and she didn't change from that. She herself did not give birth, but she devoted her life to seeing the birth of the salvation of the world. She gave herself to serving the only one who could provide that salvation. It couldn't come through any other way. She knew it, and she was hungry for that. She was a midwife. Today, sometimes we call them a doula, right? We have midwives, we have doulas. Regardless, she was known and she knew her appointment as being a patient servant of the Most High. She waited and waited and didn't give up hope, knowing that there was a change that was coming. And I don't know, you know, who knows? I I wish we had a little bit more of that story. Like, did she have an encounter with the Lord? Had she heard something? What set her on fire for that? You know, I kind of want to know that. And and we don't necessarily get that in there. But we'll talk about that in a second. But I want more. I'm like, I'm hungry for this, Lord. I want more. And he's like, but you have enough. You have enough. So I want to talk about three things that I think kingdom midwives do. Because we are called to do this too. Whether you're female or male. You are called to be a midwife in the kingdom. Number one, kingdom midwives persevere in expectant prayer. So this is where we're going to start jumping around just a little bit here with me. So guys, if you guys can go ahead and pull up Isaiah 7. But this was a 700-year-old prophecy. Again, numbers are important. I'm not going to say whether this means anything or not, but 700 years, I think what it means is it was a long time. A very long time coming. Anna hadn't given up in her 50, 60 years, but the Jewish people had not given up either, right? For 700 years, they had been calling out and crying out for salvation in the world. Let's read this, Isaiah 7 through through 12, 9 through 12. I actually have 14 on here. I'm sorry. I don't know. We'll just see where I want to stop. Um, because over here, I have it down to 15, so who knows. But I wanted to jump. In your Bible, it probably says a sign of Emmanuel. Can you jump back there one little tiny bit, and it's like 9B, if there was a B. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Ooh. Ooh. Y'all, does it sting just a little or no? I don't want to be immune to these things. When the Lord gives us like a hard word, I want to be like, ooh, I want to be firm. I don't want to just be wishy-washy. Elizabeth knew that she had to be firm in faith. Mary knew she had to be firm in faith. She had to know that she was doing something counterculture role. (laughs) 
and had to like fight for it. She knew this. If you are not firm in faith, you are not firm at all. And 10, again, the Lord said to Ahaz, nine, uh, oh yeah, there we go. Let's go back one. I'm not sure what this is. I'll just read off my word here. I'm sorry, guys. Sometimes this gets me, as you guys can tell. I look up and I'm like, that's not it. If you are not firm in faith, you will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and he will call himself Emmanuel. God asked something of Ahaz. He actually asked him, take a step of faith, Ahaz. Ask me for a sign. Feel free. Do it. Do it now. Ask me. As a parent, sometimes I feel like that. Like the kids want to like sneak a cookie and steal it, but they could just walk in and ask for it. You know, there's a cookie platter sitting in our house right now that my sweet parents brought by the other day, and I have a cookie jar that somebody else gave us some cookies, and, and honestly, there's a cake from, from a staff thing the other day, and, and there's part of a cake left over. Y'all, we don't ever have this much dessert in our family at all. We don't, but it's a season of celebrating and a season of, of feasting in that way, and, and yet I came in the other day, and there was like chocolate dribble right here and a few crumbs. Cohen, what are you eating? Nothing. I'm like, dude, really, what are you eating? Nothing. I'm like, I smell it on your breath, buddy. I smell this. Nothing. I'm like, you've just stepped into discipline. You lied to mama. All you had to do was ask me. It's in the home right now because I want to give it to you. Our house has prepared all this special food, and I know we don't always have it, but if you ask me for it right now because I've prepared it, I want you to have the good things that are here. I'm not putting them out on the countertops for you to see them and not be allowed to touch them. There might be a time and a place, meals, you know, I want you to eat some meat before you get your cookie, but, but they're not here to tease you, Right? They're here because you're my son and I love you and, and these were made for us and, and you can have some. But I need you to ask. And when you lie to me, you've just separated yourself from me. And now we have to go into a season of discipline because we have to talk about what this was before relationship and that way can be restored and we start all over again, right? A good parent doesn't just ignore that. I can't ignore the lies of my kids and I can't ignore the sins in my family because I'm not teaching them the important truths as of adulthood, but I'm also not teaching them the important truths of the word of God. Ahaz was given a chance. The Lord looked at him and said, ask me for a sign. And he said, I will not. And then it was said, I'm going to give you one. But I'm going to wait 700 years till other people are willing to intercede and cry out and ask for that sign for years of their life. And they'll get to see it happen. And you'll be a line in a book long ago as a lesson being told. 
Let's jump forward. There's more waiting as well. I got really serious there for a second, y'all. Sorry. We can cheer up a little bit. You guys are so quiet. Acts 1, yes, thank you. Acts 1, 12 through 14. All right, let's move into Acts. We're going to jump way forward here, right? Jesus has come. Jesus has gone. Then the apostles, there we go. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile, so far to walk. My kids would be crying. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present, lots of people. You can read them. Number 14. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. They knew they had been told to wait. There was more coming. There was going to be a sign of the Lord coming again. And they were waiting, and they were pushing, and they were fighting. Just like Anna was doing. She's waiting, and she's pushing. She's determined to push in. She was determined to see this happen. And she knew. She knew the prophecies. She knew the stories. And something compelled her to spend the time for years in the temple, pressing in and praying. Nine months of waiting is a long time for anyone to give when you've carried a baby. (laughs) It's a long time. I think by about you know, three months in, you're like, hmm, it's not so bad. Maybe the nausea's getting better, maybe not. But, but I don't feel a ton yet. I'm just slightly uncomfortable. By about seven and a half months, I was like, my body's done. It's finished. And, and yet, there was still more time. And I had to wait. But great things are birthed out of persistent, persistent, patient, enduring prayer. Great things are birthed out of women's bodies, enduring for a season, of setting themselves aside. Each baby that is born into this world has had a birth mother who has had at some point to set herself aside. And when that hasn't happened the way it should, there's trauma for that newborn. There's trauma. It's not the way it's supposed to happen. It is supposed to be a season of it not being about you for a period of time, what you put in your body, what you do with yourself. It's just a little bit different for a season till you have birthed something. Anna took a long season to separate herself and do things a little bit differently. We at King's Church like to call each other out and say for a season, a day a week or a couple days a month, will you join with us? Will you eat a little differently? Will you spend your time a little differently? Will you just step outside the norms of your routine just for a little while to join with us so we can birth something a little different? I think that's part of our heart here at King's Church is that we want to see something changed in Kentucky. We don't want to see it left the way it is. But that's not going to happen when we just keep stuff in our mouths full of the stuff in the culture around us and never taking time to step aside and spend time persistently, patiently, and enduring prayer and some uncomfortableness. We're called for to that. We're called to be uncomfortable just a little bit. How often do we give up in the waiting? 
right when it's around the corner. I know that that last week, even um, Christy just shared a little bit, and I've been talking about it more as I'm trying to get back into my routine of exercising on a, on a more regular basis. I didn't want to wait till January, like as everybody else does, because I'm probably a little bit rebellious, the stray cat. I was like, I'm going to do it in November. So I'm going to jump back in. And I discovered that where I had been and where I am now, there's a bit of a difference between the two. And so when I'm in the midst of it, sometimes in in exercise, there's these things called like active holds. And I was trying to think of it all because this isn't my background necessarily. But when you're doing an active hold, your muscles are like active, I guess. And (laughs) And then at some point in the midst of that, you're like, and I'm done. I'm finished with this. I want to just give up. But one of the things I remember when I was running, and I I was never like a marathon trainer at all. I played soccer. So I'm like really good at sprinting and then stopping and putting my hands on my knees, and it looks like you're ready to go again, but you're really catching your breath. (sighs) That's, That's really the point of it. Like you're ready. You can jump again, but you're just like, you know catching your breath because we were not marathon runners. And, but you're there and you're getting ready and you're ready to go again. But, but the people that do long distance stuff or, or do like more active things than I do, they talk about the fact that there's this time where you just want to give up. You're just done. I, I remember those sprinting things, like when we would be exercising, and I forget, like death drills, right? And it was like um, they wanted to see how close you could come to like passing out or something. I'm not quite sure. And, <laughs> you know, and it was like, I'm going to kill you, but not quite. And, and like you're just, you're going and you're going and you're going and you're just about to want to die. And you bust through some sonic, super quiet, invisible barrier, and you're like, I can keep going. I can go forever. And I, I wish I could like bottle that feeling and bottle that moment because we would make millions at King's Church because it's there. There's this moment of like, I can't do anymore. And you do just a little bit more and the doors bust open. And I feel like that's happening here, right? Like, I don't know, maybe Anna was tired. Maybe Anna was like exhausted. I really don't have anything from the scripture saying that period. She just seemed pretty persistent and amazing to me, but she kept going. But I do have a story about somebody else that I just read recently, Mother Teresa, right? Did she actually get her sainthood? I think it actually happened. Is that, is that right? She, she has been declared Saint Mother Teresa in the Catholic Church. And Mother Teresa shared some stories, and she wrote some letters that didn't come out until after her death. I think she died in 97, and in like 2007, these letters were published. And what we know of her, right, is that she wore sandals and wore a a blue sari, right, And, and she loved everybody. And she seemed to have enduring patience and kindness and love for every person she met, right? Is that what we would think of her? And joy, like joy in service. And these letters came out that she had written just a few key people in confidence, and she had actually asked that the letters be destroyed, and the Catholic Church didn't destroy them. And it turns out that in the 50 or 60 years from the point where she felt like the Lord had given her a vision for her life and a vision for what she was to do, um, in the 50 or 60 years from that point, she never actively heard from the Lord again. It was silence. And she wrote about it, this, this enduring silence and this, this desperation to have just a, just a hint 
of the Father's presence in her life speaking into her, a hint of there being more than just the vision from 50 or 60 years ago. And that in that 60-year period or whatever it was, there was a 15-month period where the Lord just poured into her. And he gave her visions and gave her words and gave her a passion. And she lived off of that for 60 years. But in that period, she was like crying out and she was dry and she was hurting. But the world didn't see that side of her. The world saw her get the Nobel Peace Prize and, and, and saw her challenging and encouraging people and keep going, keep doing this. This is what we're called to do. And yet, on the inside, she shriveled. And that these letters didn't come out till later till how hard it was for her to continue in that. And I don't know. I don't want to overlay that emotion over onto Anna. And especially, here's the thing. She's not from our tradition. We separated a bit ago. And if, if I had had a chance to ever meet her and if I had known any of this about her, I would want us as King's Church and our prayer ministry team to surround her and let's lift her up. Let's anoint, let's encourage, and let's cry out for more, Lord, more. Because we believe that the Lord wants to pour more out, right? So if you are dry and you're, you're feeling like that, if that's resonating with you, well, we, we want to push in with you. That's part of being a family. It's, I don't want to leave anybody behind, that the vision was long ago and it's dead. We want new vision, new oil, Lord. There's more of your spirit there. And, and I think for Anna, we got to see that. There's more of the spirit that came um, and was there. But for Mother Teresa, she passed away, to our knowledge, never hearing anything else from the Father. But I believe that probably when she got to heaven, there was a well done, good and faithful servant. All right. Number two, kingdom midwives recognize and respond to what God is doing no matter how small. So what was Anna looking for? Why was she waiting in the temple? Again, we have these basic things, but let's jump in because it's there. We can find out more. So we're going to jump into Isaiah 14 really fast. Jump there. You guys can just do it in your word. Right? Isaiah 7:14 said it would be ch- born a child or it would be a child born of a virgin. Okay? So we know that she knew she was looking for a child. She knew the prophecies. She knew that that she wasn't just looking for an adult. She wasn't looking for somebody else to come along. She was looking for a child. She was looking for a baby. Number two, we're going to jump back to Micah 5.2. So that's the minor prophets. Side note, Emma, you get five points if you can answer this. Why are they called the minor prophets? (laughs) Because they are smaller than the major prophets. Good job, Emma. It's right at the end of the Old Testament. If you need to jump there on my book, it's um, page 1012. That's right. The, uh, the minor prophets are called the minor prophets because they are smaller than the major prophets. Real deep there. I thought that was funny when I learned that years ago. Anyway, right here, Micah 5.2, okay? But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. So we knew. We knew that this baby would be born in Bethlehem. 
We knew that. She wouldn't know this. Man, she had 50 years, 60 years to study all of this. Then we're going to jump to Malachi 3.1. Malachi 3.1. That should be like nearly right next door, right? I stuck blue tabbies in mine just because I could. Sorry, guys. I guess next time I preach, I could give you all these ahead of time. Malachi 3.1. So where was he supposed to be found? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in which whom you delight, behold, he is coming. So where's the best place for her to be found, hanging out? If she knows that she's looking for a baby in Bethlehem. The temple. That's why. And one of the reasons being, if we jumped all the way back to Leviticus, and I won't make y'all jump anymore, but in Leviticus it talks about, I know, in Leviticus it talks about the fact that um, when you had a son, at day eight days there was a circumcision, and then at 33 days the mama and the baby and the family came and brought a lamb to the temple, and either two doves or two something else's, but the lamb was brought to the temple as a sacrifice for purification for that mother and that baby. So 33 and 8, we're at 41 days. She knew there would be a young infant brought to the temple with his parents, and they were waiting. I think she and Simeon probably dreamed about this. They probably talked about this. They knew. They knew what they were watching for for years. Anna would never see the fulfillment of Christ's ministry, his healing, his miracles. She wouldn't. But like... Sasha said three weeks ago, she already saw him through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. She recognized him at 41 days old as the promised one of God. She knew that this was symbolic and this was important. How did she recognize him? Oh, those four decades of prayer and fasting and listening. She knew all of this. We're just now digging into it, but she had spent decades there. If we jump back into Luke, I think Jesus recognized these same attributes. What does he say about that lady, the widow? Do you guys remember that? Jumping back to Luke 18, right there. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, saying, give me justice against my adversary. Who was her adversary? Satan, sin, death, the opposite of all things righteous for the holy God. She was pouring out, right? Give me justice against the adversary. And for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I fear neither God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps coming to me, I will give her justice. It's a little different, but was it at all related to the fact that, that Simeon and Anna and maybe others just kept crying out day and night, day and night, that there was justice to be brought? Did that affect the heart of the father? Because he was like, here's somebody crying out day and night, day and night. I think so. I, I think possibly Jesus is referring some of this. Like, y'all, don't stop. It's happened before, and it can happen again. Cry out day and night, day and night. Our calling as kingdom midwives means that we are to do the same, watching and listening and discerning that what God is doing and aligning ourselves with his work. There are seasons of crying out and calling, and there are seasons of going out and speaking and loving. And he will be very clear. I love that in our own body, we have some people who come to me sometimes, and I'll be like, I missed you at prayer this morning. And I've had this, and 
Well, the Lord said to stay here and to worship him this morning. Or the Lord told me to go over here and to go seek him this morning or to go share love with this person this morning. And there's freedom in that here. We want you guys to have that freedom to find the Lord and to seek him and to be where he is found. And there are times where that finding him is in the prayer room. It's in that time of intercession. Number three, kingdom midwives move from prayer to action. How do we do that? Well, Emmanuel, God with us, right? So Luke 2.38, let's jump there. I know we're kind of going back and forth, some back to our other ones. She came along just as Simeon was talking to Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And that's all it said. But right there we see a shift. For decades she had nurtured this relationship, the vertical relationship between, and the, between her and the Lord. She nurtured and nurtured and fed and fed and prayed and fasted and worshipped. And all of a sudden, in one moment, she went from doing that to seeing the fulfillment and immediately going out. That she talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly. For, who is the everyone? Well, in her area, that would have been everyone she came into contact with. <laughs> that would have been. The Jewish people have been waiting for 700 years. So everyone she came into contact with has been waiting for the fulfillment of this, this prophecy. She became an evangelist immediately. She went from intercessor to evangelist, from prayer room to the public forum. We see that again in Acts 2. Let's jump there really fast. Acts 2, 42 to 47. I know I love to get into one set of scripture and really eating it, and we're kind of doing that, but I just want you all to see the thread. I just see this braid that happens throughout all of these places. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking the bread and prayer, and awe came upon every soul. Wouldn't you love to say that? Well, those people at King's Church, awe is on every soul. I'm not sure what that means, but it'd be cool. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. There was unity. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as many as need. And you know what? I think a modern version of this would be tithing, okay? So I'm not going to stand here and say, I expect you to sell your possessions. And I'm not saying that. I'm not. But the word's pretty clear that we bring into the storehouse, right? And I refuse to be one of those people that's ashamed of tithing because I have a beautiful people who tithe way beyond the average, the average set of tithers for our church. It is gorgeous. I don't get to see all the details, but I get a little report every once in a while, and the report is mostly like thumbs up. The amounts are good. I love it. Thank you guys for tithing, those of you who call King's Church your home, because it advances the kingdom of God. It is part of what we bring to the storehouse. When Brad and I push that button on our cell phone, when we, when we have a client with two cups who pays and, and we send that forward, it is part of our, our bringing forward to the storehouse and crying out to the Lord, Lord, bless your people, grow your church, mature your family. It's part of that process. It's part of what we are called to do. And that was what they were doing their part in that. That's what they're doing there, part of that process. They were coming together. They were belonging. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Things changed when God arrived. The disciples suddenly were filled with power and with boldness. There was a shift that happened once that Holy Spirit came, and they had been waiting. They were praying, and they were fasting, and they were seeking, and they argued a little bit because they were probably a little hungry. But they were not giving up. But when the Lord came, when that Holy Spirit came, there was a shift, right? I'm hearing that. Are y'all ever a little hangry? Am I going long? Not too long yet. Hangry can't set in yet. We have some delicious food out there when you're done. But, you know, just wait. I was reminded of this the other day. The shift that happens when the baby arrives. The hands are no longer empty. I remember that when, I'm, when I was pregnant that I get so big, I could literally put the full plate on my belly I didn't need a table. I couldn't get close to the table anyway. But I could just set that plate here and eat off the belly. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm not like a basketball. I'm like a beach ball right here, right? That, those babies are so huge. I'm like the shortest in my family, and Brad is the shortest in his family, and he's, what, 6'1"? What are you? I mean, that's not short. But these babies are huge. I mean, Lottie was like over 10 pounds. Thank you. Yes. Thank you very much. No C-sections. And that is only to say God's grace was upon that. But, but I am huge. And I just, I could set this table there or this plate there and I could just eat and I could do all the things. And it felt like there was like this new third appendage that was in the way all the time. I had bruises on the side of my belly because I would turn into doorways. I mean, I just wasn't used to it. But I still had two hands, Right? I had two hands that I could pick up and I could do stuff with. But when the baby is born, you're holding that baby. That weird appendage begins to slowly kind of maybe go away. (laughs) But your hands are suddenly full, right? And there's a new responsibility that is born. You have to carry that baby. And whether it's a vision or instructions from the Lord, once that's happened, you can't set it down. What happens if you don't nurture that baby? It screams. But ultimately, it would die. It's your responsibility to carry the baby that the Lord's given you. You hold it, and you listen to its cries, and you nurture it when it's hungry, and you soothe it when it's suffering, right? And you pay attention to it, but heaven forbid, rarely do you really just get to set it down for very long. And yet, that's the same with the vision that the Lord gives us. Anna never gave birth to a baby, but she gave birth to a vision. She gave birth to a set of instructions that only she knew from the Lord, and she was determined to carry those through. Much longer than most of us have to carry babies, praise Jesus. They grow up, right? Sort of. Those of you with adult children over the age of 60, maybe you can give me hope one day. Nah. But it's time to get busy. It's time to stop crying about what the Lord hasn't given us and rejoicing in what he has. 
So why is Anna's story so meaningful? I think we'll each find a different spot there. But it reminds me and it can remind us that the kingdom breakthrough is built on prayer and intercession. Every harvest comes from years of silent and patient sowing. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen the next day. It might not happen the next year. I remember one of our very first sermons. I was determined when I stood up here. I wasn't here. We were at Lord's Legacy. And I shared the weight on my heart was to not be ashamed of small beginnings. That we would grow as the Lord had his church grow. The Lord is the one who grows his building. The Lord is the one who grows his church. That we have to be faithful in sowing and in watering and intending what he has given us. The harvest comes from years of silent and patient sowing. So what if the same is true today? What if God is looking for Annas and Simeons, for kingdom midwives who will prepare the way for that second coming through a radical commitment to being a people of prayer? You know, I'll say it again and again, and maybe one day the Lord will allow me to meet her. But if not in heaven, I'm just going to like fist bumper and body jammer and hugger. But as Heidi Baker says, let's put ourselves back in the story. Let's put ourselves there. Let's push in. What are you pushing for? What has the Lord said, I want you to intercede for? Well, I know one of the things is to intercede for your church. And I thank you for doing that. I thank you for interceding for King's Church. I thank you for interceding for Lexington and for Kentucky because we believe that we are crying out that in Lexington, in Kentucky, as it is in heaven, from the very beginning of the birth of the passion for this area, the Lord gave us that vision that we would cry out and pray for that. But I think that you each have something special that you're to birth Luke 18, one last time. I know I keep going back and forth, but it says this. I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, remember? He will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? She had done her part. She helped birth. She fought. Long before Mary was pregnant, she knew the baby was coming, and she looked for it. And we are told that we can fight and do the same because there's a second coming that we're to look for. There's a second coming that we are to be interceding for. There's a second coming that the world around us is dead to. When she ran out after she had held or saw Emmanuel, God with us, and she ran out and began evangelizing, she couldn't quit talking about having seen the baby, the fulfillment. And we believe that he's coming again. And I don't want for him to come or for me to get to heaven and him say, Meg, I asked you to intercede. I gave you a vision on earth as it is in heaven. And you let my seed dry and you let my seed die. I don't want that. We see that with Ahaz, the determination I will not ask of the Lord. 700 years later, that baby was born. And I just wonder, I wonder what would have happened had Ahaz said, yeah, I'm going to ask. What could have been different? I think our crying out has the potential to change the timeline of God every single time. I believe it. 
What if as a church we could actually shift the atmosphere and the time frame of revival in Kentucky because we're willing to walk in this calling? What if we were willing to say, you know, it's not my jam right now. I'm not, I'm not really feeling it, but I believe it because my feelings and my emotions do not line up a good deal of the time. I don't know about y'all, but as a female, I often have these waves of emotion of either wanting to give up in the middle of exercise, which I still need, or whether I'm just bored and I'm tired and I didn't have enough coffee and I'm just not feeling it. I don't want to get up and go to church early for prayer. I don't want to have to be inconvenienced with something. I don't want to have to do that. But what if our deciding to be inconvenienced for a season changed eternity on earth? And I believe it is. The fun part is we're not alone. King's Church is not like this microcosm of weird in the world. I mean, we might be a little weird. I'm okay with weird. I'm good with weird. If we filled the pews with weird, I would be happy, okay? I would. <laughs> but we're not. There is a move and a shift that is happening corporately in the church around the world. I'm in the middle of reading this amazing book. I read about it, and then I mentioned it out there, and lo and behold, it was sitting in Chuck's van. I didn't even have to order it. It just got brought inside for me. It's such a good book. It's called um, Unceasing, an Introduction to Night and Day Prayer by Billy Humphrey. It's a really easy read, lots of good stories. Highly recommend it. But here's a quote. Just as God released grace upon Anna to fast and pray until she saw the first physical revelation of Jesus on the earth, God is releasing a similar grace upon a whole generation of believers who will operate in a similar anointing, interceding for the next revelation of Jesus to the earth. Do you believe it? Are you willing to step out and ask the Lord for the grace to believe it even if you don't feel it now? Are you willing to say, I don't want just comfort. I don't want a church that's just comfortable to me. And guys, I don't want to be a church that's just intentionally uncomfortable. I, I don't want to annoy or irritate people much. But I have, I think, my focus not just here, but here. And I'm asking you guys to join me in that. That we can lift our heads just a little because the word says that the Lord is the lifter of our heads. And when we lift our heads, the fluffy small groups, and the nicer furniture, and the person that meets you at your car, not just at the door with the umbrella, maybe those are all great things. And honestly, y'all, I pray that we get to be some of these things. But I'm determined to be a church that the Lord grows his church. Not Meg, not committees, not great ideas. And many of you guys have great ideas, and I'm not here to just squash it, but I'm here to say, have you been on your knees? Did you fast a little? Did you pray about that first? Did you lay yourself down at the altar of self-sufficiency and self-desire? And when you stood up, you said, that was from the Lord, and I'm supposed to share it. Do we need to silence our mouths just a little bit more and get on our knees just a little longer? 
I'm not asking you guys to spend the next 50, 60 years in prayer, but the Lord might have us do it. But I'm asking that the Lord give us a word worthy for our neighborhood. And I think the word for our neighborhood is more than comfortable. And the word for our neighborhood is more than just easy and simplified and quick and available. I think the word for our neighborhood is everlasting to everlasting. Let me read, finish reading it. I'm sorry. God is releasing a similar grace upon a whole generation of believers who will operate in a similar anointing, interceding for the next revelation of Jesus to the earth, his second coming. God is igniting a prayer movement over all the earth, which will usher in the greatest revival, along with the greatest tribulation that the planet has ever seen. Leading up to the return of Jesus, the anointing that rested upon Anna will rest upon multitudes of believers before Jesus' second coming. We're not alone. That's the fun part to me, is like sometimes when we're just here and and when everybody's here on a Sunday morning and there's maybe like 120 of us, 125 of us in the building right now and and, and, and there's just not that many because like honestly, the pews that y'all are sitting in right now fits about 700. So we could have 400 in here and still feel fairly empty, right? But, But we are at a time and a place where the Lord is moving across his eyes going back and forth across the world saying, who's willing to ask? Who's willing to stop and seek? Who's willing to travail? Who's willing to be uncomfortable for a minute in order to usher in a difference for a lifetime? And I want to say, me, me, and I want to I have you guys join me in that. 